this morning, self-imposed, because we do have our annual meeting. I just want to say this, though, if uh, maybe you're new or newer to Thrive Church and you're going, well, what's an annual meeting? It's uh, every year because we're a nonprofit organization and we're a part of a denomination that's a nonprofit organization. We're, we're required by our bylaws and even by the government to, to have a, a meeting of our members. If you're not a member or if you're newer to the church, you're welcome to join us. This is not a private party. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to be here. Uh, we're going to share just an overview of uh, the past year, what God did uh, in, in, um, in our church, in our finances. Uh, there's some praise reports, some huge praise reports uh, in that. And uh, I'm going to introduce our pastoral team and our church council, and we'll walk through some of that. Also this morning, we're introducing during our, our meeting, our annual meeting, all of our new members. We have, a, I think, 19 people who uh, signed up for membership at our membership class. So we'll talk about that. So please feel free to stay. What it is Vision Sunday, and we are continuing in this series called Shine, because Shine is our word for the year. It is the vision and, and, and the perspective that we have for 2019. Uh, and we've been talking over the last three weeks about letting our light shine. We've talked about the fact that God is our source, that Jesus is the one who's redeemed us, who's saved us, and causes our lights to shine in the first place. He's the, he's the, he's the, the point of ignition. We talked about last week the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives and takes that little light and fans it into something so bright that stands out in the world around us. And uh, if you missed any of those messages, you can listen to them online. They're on the app and also on the website. Um, catch up with those and, and just kind of get a sense of what God uh, has been speaking to us. Why a Vision Sunday? Why is this necessary? Why, why do we even need to take time at the beginning of the year? Well, I believe it's important to set our focus, right? How many of you are goal setters? You're like, at the beginning of the year, you set goals. Like three or four of you. Okay, good. I know what I'm preaching on next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> It's a good thing if there's something you want to accomplish to set a goal, to say, I want to achieve some things. Do you know that God has goals for us? There's things that he set in place that he says, I want more for you. I want to see blessing in your life. I want to see abundance. I want to see effectiveness. I want to see freedom. There's things that he set in front of us, and it's our job. What we need to do as children of God is to say, God, what is it that you have for me? And then work towards that. And it's true of a congregation. It's true that for us as the body of Christ and as this unique expression of the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, that we would say, God, in this place, in Glendora, California, in Sellers Elementary School, what are you calling us to this year? See, because if we don't set goals and we're not able to, to say this is where we feel like God is leading us, then at the end of the year, we can't look back and say, hey, how do we do? How effective were we? Right? They say if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Yep. <laughs> right? But we want to focus our aim as a church and be effective. So we want to hear what God is telling us as a congregation and then align ourselves with what he is saying and as we, so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God as we move through this year. Uh, Mission Impossible probably familiar with the movies or the TV shows. Probably most of you right now are just the, the songs playing in your head, right? How many of you are like, <laughs> right? Dun, 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 dun. This is your mission. 
This is your mission. But here's what I love about that statement in those movies. There was always this little phrase, if you choose to accept it, there's an option. That God would say to us, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Because as followers of Jesus, we can make a decision not to be on mission. That we can sit back and say, God, I'm just in it for the ride. I'm just an observer, a spectator. I'm not a participant. God is saying, no, I'm going to give you vision. I want to speak to you. And now I'm asking you to join me in this. We are a people on assignment. Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19, it's the Great Commission. He says to them, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to go and make disciples, people who give their lives to Jesus and then start walking in the ways of the Word, in the ways of the Spirit, in the ways of His kingdom. This is our Mission, by the way, Jesus had the authority to ask us to do this, not just to ask us to do it, but to empower us and give, we, give us what we need to, to get the job done. I made this statement last week, and I don't know where the origin, I like to give honor or credit to who, who says things. I'm not sure where this one came from. I've heard it along the way, but it, it goes like this. The church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. The church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. And that every one of us is counted in that. There's not one of us that is excluded from what God wants to accomplish in the world on mission. And so we're called to engage with God in what he's doing around the world. This is a part of our mandate as the church. 1918 through 1920, the world was rocked by something unseen There was a flu epidemic that spread. Some believe it started in the U.S., some believe it started in Spain, but no matter what the point of origin was, that that flu virus spread literally around the world. Islands in the South Pacific and even Antarctica were affected by this flu virus. It's estimated that 500 million people were infected, and between 50 and 100 million people died because of that flu virus. You can't see a flu virus. But the effect of that flu virus was devastating. That event over those two years was one of the greatest loss of life in the history, in the recorded history of the world. So many people lost their lives. Can I tell you, there are epidemics in the world around us today. I'm going to give you a little preface right now. I'm going to paint a picture today. I want to paint a picture for us of what our mission field looks like. Vision Sunday today is not going to be all about, hey, here's all the programs we're going to do and all of the events, though you got a a flyer that has all the save the dates. Please make note of that. We're trying to give you as much advance notice of what's coming this year. But the focus this morning is not, hey, what can we do to just have more fun as a church or just do things inside? And we want to care for the body, but we shine so that we can impact the world. So I want to paint a picture of what's facing our world right now. I'm going to give some statistics, calling this facing the darkness. Facing the darkness. 
I want to start with this, Christianity in America. 36% of Americans who identify as Christians say that faith is important in their life and have attended a service in the past month. 36%. That means, given our current population, there are 207,654,056 Americans who don't believe in Jesus Christ. 207 million people are living in darkness. 1993, 89% of Christians who shared faith, their faith agreed that this is a responsibility of every Christian, 89%. Today, 64% say it is the responsibility of every believer to share their faith. That's a 25% drop. And people taking on the mission of God to be salt and light in their community. 33 million Americans identify their religious affiliation as none. And 29 million of those are not even looking, are not even interested, would say, I don't care, I'm not atheist, I'm not Christian, I'm just nothing. I'm nothing, I'm just here. And are not looking for anything. Los Angeles... And surrounding cities ranks number 18 in the United States of America of the most unchurched cities in our nation. Number 18. There's a lot of cities in our country. Christianity, we see in our culture, is not on the increase, it's on the decline. There are fewer people believing, and of those that do believe, their faith is nominal. They feel like I go to church when I can and it's an optional part of my life and it's not my responsibility to share my faith, which is part of the reason that Christianity is on the decline. See, because the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church and we are called to be a people on mission that Jesus' word to the disciples is the same word to us, go, go. Go, and I believe the posture of so much of the church and Christianity today has been, oh, come to us. Now, we want to be inviting. We want to invite. We want to be welcoming. But can I tell you, the signs out on, on Lorraine Avenue and our website are no replacement for you. That God's called us to go into the darkness. Loneliness, anxiety, and depression. In the United States, one in five adults say they regularly feel lonely. And I feel, I believe, that's an old statistic. I believe that number is even higher today. 18% of Americans suffer from anxiety disorders. Depression rates have risen between 2013 and 2016. And I'm going to give you two demographics in which uh, depression has risen significantly. Adolescents between 12 and 17 years old, 63% increase in depression in that age range, and a 47% increase in millennials ages 18 to 34. That's from 2013 to 2016. Church, this is not good. This is darkness. This is the enemy, the darkness of the enemy making its way into the lives of our kids and our young people. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 15 to 34. 
between 1999 and 2016, suicide rates rose in 49 of 50 states in the United States of America, and in some of those states, it rose between 38 and 58 percent. When we read John 10, 10, which we'll read in a minute, when it says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it's literal. It is a literal killing of people who are so lost and so broken and so in the darkness that they believe the lie of the enemy that they should just take their own lives. Divorce in the United States said that 50% or more Again, an older statistic, but they believe it's much higher than that. 50% uh, of all marriages will end in divorce. And the percentage is the same for Christians as it is for non-Christians. Addiction is on the rise across the board. Drugs, alcohol, the the newest one we're hearing a lot about is opioids, pornography, The statistics regarding pornography are, we could be here for two days just reading statistics. Over 90% of teenage boys in America have been exposed to pornography. 97%, and most of those, it's before the age of 12. 70% of girls in the United States, teenage girls in the United States, have been exposed to pornography. It said that 57% of men, Christian Men, not just men, Christian men, struggle regularly with pornography. We're addicted to social media. We're addicted to entertainment. We're addicted to the things that feed the flesh. And our world is dying. The darkness is around us. And here's the problem, church. We live in Glendora. We live in Southern California. I was driving from Starbucks this morning. I I love on Sunday morning, part of my routine is I go to Starbucks, I get my coffee, but I don't go just because I love the coffee. I want to be reminded before I come here on a Sunday morning that there's people who are not going to be in church today. I want to see their faces. I want to, and some of them, because I go to the same place and I sit in the same chair, I'm starting to recognize people and say hi to people. But I want to be consistently reminded that people are broken and lost without Jesus Christ because it would be easy in this culture and in this environment and in this beautiful place with our gumdrop trees, right? Glendora Avenue. In this beautiful climate that we live in, the manicured lawns to go, wow, this is idyllic, this is wonderful. But the reality is that these statistics and the the ones that just go on and on and on is that most people, the majority of the people that we encounter on a daily basis are broken and hurting and are living in absolute darkness. But Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world. You are the light of a world. See, just like that influenza epidemic, not all of these things can be seen. A lot of this happens behind closed doors or on locked devices. But the effects of what's happening in our world cannot be denied. We're not getting better. We are, not, we are the most educated, privileged richest culture on the face of the world that there has ever been. And we're not getting better, we're getting worse. Because the things of this world do not satisfy only Jesus. 
Only Jesus can satisfy, can save, can meet those needs, can bring the transformation. Father God, we pray for our city. We recognize that these, are not, these numbers have names and faces and relationships, that these numbers feel feelings and are hurting. God, I pray even over this congregation this morning, I pray that for those that I even read these statistics, that those numbers and those statistics hit home this morning. I pray, Jesus, turn those circumstances and those lives around. Holy Spirit, invade our lives, invade our community. I pray that the tide would turn and that there would be revival in our land. In Jesus' name. First Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We can't be ignorant about this church. We can't think, oh, it's all good. Everything's okay. Because he is looking for those he would devour to consume, to destroy, to undo in every sense of the word. And so God calls us to let our light shine in darkness. Matthew 5, we've read it uh, over the last few weeks. I want to read it again. Jesus says to us in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to just say this about the good deeds, by the way. This is not a case of try harder. See, the goal of the enemy is to shame us into the darkness. That shame is his tactic to say you don't measure up, you profess faith in Jesus, but you're broken, go hide in the darkness. And Jesus says, no way. He's broken shame and condemnation. He says, come out of the darkness and live in the light. Live in the light. And so when he says your deeds, that your deeds, this is not about you just striving to be harder. It's about living a spirit-led life where the fruit of the spirit is present in our lives as we submit ourselves to his lordship and to his healing and to his transforming power in us. But when we do, it will show. It will be just as evident, if not more so, because light is more easily seen than darkness. Which means that if we're seeing this decline in the church in America, it means that there's a lot of people covering up their lights, walking around like this, going, don't let anyone see, because you know what? Christians aren't popular in this culture, and I might be ridiculed, and I might have someone ask hard questions of me, or what's it? it's not my place to judge, or whatever the, the, the reason or the cultural excuse is to not let our light shine, and so we hide it, and Jesus says, no, let your light shine, and don't make it weird. Love people well. And, and, and he doesn't say, I mean, part of this mission is just live in Christ. And when you do, you won't be able to deny what he's doing. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. No one can argue when you say, this is what God has done in my life. They can't say, well, you know, no, it doesn't matter. This is what God has done in my life. And the joy of the Lord just exudes from us. Even in those times where we're facing battles and we're facing mountains. 
To say, you know what, God, I don't get it. This is, this is hard. This is difficult, but I'm going to rely on you. Even in that, our light shine. And people need to see it because they have no hope. Ephesians, Paul writes to us and he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And listen to this, everything that is illuminated becomes light. He doesn't want to just fix us. He wants us to glow, to shine. We are Thrive Church. Thrive Church, when we named this church Thrive, we felt God saying, this is the name for your church. We knew it was a bold statement. We're not just get by church. Hope we make it church. <laughs> Jesus come back soon, please church. Though we believe that. But we're not desperate people. We were designed to thrive. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The full, overflowing, abundant. I heard a pastor speak at Life Pacific College this week. A friend of mine, um, his name is Dan Russell. He's a former Olympic wrestling coach, uh, holds multiple NCAA titles, and has a ministry going into the darkest places of the world and using wrestling as a, as a tool to reach people. And it's powerful what God's doing in his life. But he made a connection between John 10.10 10 and 1 Corinthians 13 that I thought was profound. So I'm going to share a couple of points that I've kind of borrowed from my friend Dan. I want to give honor where honor is due. And I, I, but but it, when he was sharing this, I thought, our church needs to hear this. Because John 10.10 10 is our verse. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Say faith, Faith. hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Of course, here this is 1 Corinthians 13. Need some water. 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, but it also comes right on the heels of spiritual gifts. And Paul talking about the gifts that have been given to the body by the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then he goes into this chapter about love and he goes, listen, we can prophesy, we can do all of these things, we can cast out demons, we can heal the sick, but if we have not, we have not love, we're empty. We're just clanging symbols. And then he ends with that. Faith, hope, and love. They remain. I have three quick points. First is this. The light of your life is designed by God first to recover faith. To recover faith. The enemy comes to steal faith. Right? We say things like, well, don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Why? Because faith is something that, that can slip through our fingers. And when things are difficult, we can go, I just don't have faith that it's going to change, that things are going to be different. But the reality is, without faith, we can't know God. If there's no faith, there's no relationship with God, Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Again, not out of a performance mentality where I got to do stuff to please God, but just that we would be pleasing as a people, that we would be acceptable to him. We have to have faith. We're saved by faith. 
Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We have to have faith. So, of course, the goal of the enemy is to come and to steal our faith. Because if he can get your faith, he's got you. But our lights are designed to help recover faith. See, Satan goes after the seed. Jesus talked about when when he plants a seed that the enemy comes and tries to snatch that seed. Why? Because it's easier to pluck a seed out of the ground than it is to uproot a tree. It's easier to pull a seed out of the ground than it is to uproot a tree. So he's going to hit it when it's the most vulnerable. He wants to pluck the seed of faith out of our lives and out of the lives around, of those around us. And if you've known or walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know how when God deposits, maybe it's in a message or a time of devotion or a time of prayer and God would just speak something to you, how almost immediately you feel that opposition discouragement. We had such a powerful Sunday last week. And I'm going to tell you, by Monday and Tuesday, I felt so discouraged. I could just, the, the opposition was like tangible. I'm like, Lord, this is, this is not of you. Why? Because the enemy wants to steal the seed. See, your faith stands out. Let it shine. Don't hide it. Because other people need to see your faith. Their faith will be encouraged and built up by your faith See, we do live in an anti-Christian culture, but you know what? It's nothing new. We're not unique. The, 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 book, the book of Acts, the early church suffered. They suffered atrocious things. There's believers around the world today who are putting their lives on the line for the gospel. So in the midst of anti-Christian sentiment, it doesn't matter. People are lost and they need to see our faith. We're being called by Jesus to let our light shine so that we can revive hope. The enemy comes to kill hope. So he steals faith and he kills hope. Well, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I have faith. But you know what? I just, I'm just trying to make it through life. And there's no hope that it's going to get any better or things are going to change or things are, that the perspective is going to get any different. See, the, the statistics I read before are obvious and make it obvious that people are hopeless. Those rises in depression and anxiety in our culture, what does that mean? It means that the enemy is killing hope. But we are not hopeless. Church, we are not hopeless. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says to them, he says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He wants to revive hope by allowing hope to shine through your life. As you radiate Jesus, you have Jesus in you to shine hope to a hopeless world. He's chosen you. And then finally, he's called us to shine our light so that we can rebuild love. To rebuild love. You see, the enemy comes to destroy, to destroy love. In the early 90s, a movie came out titled Toy Story. Man, that was a great movie. 
Remember that animation, the first time seeing that kind of animation, we're like, wow, this is incredible. And one of my favorite parts of that movie is when Buzz Lightyear and Woody are talking. And Woody points out that Andy had written his name on the bottom of Buzz's foot. And he explains to him what it means to belong to Andy. It's powerful. Silly cartoon, but so, excuse me, so powerful. It was the identifying mark that showed who he belonged to. You see, church, love is the mark that Jesus has left on us that tells the world who we belong to. So wouldn't it stand to reason that the enemy wants to, de- to absolutely destroy love? In the church, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, So that when the world looks at us, there's nothing that identifies us and separates us from the rest of the world. God has left his mark on us and he tells his disciples in John 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must. You notice Jesus doesn't say this is optional. You must must love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I watch the church. I have, I have connections. I have friends that are pastors. I've grown up in church, and I've watched in, in my life and in the lives of others as love has been decimated, as the enemy has worked to destroy love over and over and over again because if we don't love, we will not be effective in the mission of God. It's what sets us apart. So we've got to land this plane. Where do we go from here? What does this mean now for us as a church? What does it look like for us to recover faith, revive hope, and rebuild love in our community, starting here and in our homes? What does that look like? It starts with you. It starts with you. We've been talking over the last few weeks about igniting the flame of our faith and fanning into flame the gifts that are in us, that the light that is in us would not diminish, that it would grow brighter. It starts with you, that you would shine that light in your home, in your workplace, in your community, in your sphere of influence, because I don't work where you work. I don't live where you live. You do. God's called you to be the light, to shine in that place. So it starts with you, but it also impacts us as a church. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm believing that God is going to do a mighty work of reaching the lost this year. And he's going to use every one of us and every strategy and social media and the flags and the signs down on the street, all of it. He's going to use it all to to make an impact in this community where we see people who didn't know Jesus before come to relationship with Jesus and have their lives transformed. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready to receive them and we need to be ready to go. We need to be ready to reach the people in our community, you play a part in that. We need to be ready to go to the world, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, right? Go, I'm sending you under this power that I've given you to Jerusalem and all Judea, 
in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he's telling us, he says, thrive Glendora, thrive church. I'm calling you to go to Glendora or whatever city you live in. Southern California, the United States of America, and to the ends of the earth. We're called to go. You can see on that, that sheet, that save the date sheet, we have a number of things that are scheduled for this year. There's more coming. We have connection events that we're going to be letting you know about. With One of the things I'm hearing in our church more than anything else is, Pastor Bear, I just don't have friends. I don't know people. And looking at the back of each other's heads on Sunday morning doesn't build relationship. This is important, but it doesn't achieve that. So the picnics is part of that, but we're going to have some connection events that you're going to hear about. We have some classes and studies that are coming up, uh, our Thriving Life Discipleship class. We're going to have two rounds of emotionally healthy spirituality this year, Uh, camps for our youth and for our kids, training events that you're going to hear more about. But I wanted to make the focus this morning not about program, it's about people. It's about people. It's about us. I recognize this morning that not one of us is perfect. You're not perfect. I'm sorry. But that also means you're not disqualified from participating in what God wants you to do. You'll see in the seat in front of you, there's a couple of things I want you to grab. The first is this. There's a opportunities to serve card. I like to do this every year. If you would grab one right now, I'm going to actually have you fill it out right now. We're going to take a minute to fill that out. Because we need you. Not, not in a, oh, just, we're so needy. I, I remember growing up in church, it was always like, we need teachers. Like there was this desperation. No, it's this kind of need. God has you here for a reason because you bring something to this family, to this church body that's needed in this place. So would you allow the gifts that are in you and the call that's in you to flow? Would you grab an opportunities to serve card and would you take a minute and fill that out? And we're going to actually pass the baskets in a minute. And would you fill that out? If, if, you, uh, if, you're, if you don't have one or if you run out in your row, um, raise your hands and we'll get, get one passed out to you. But we want to we f- try and connect you because we want to be ready to receive more people. Do you know that on any given Sunday, over a third of the people that attend our church are kids? And our team loves serving kids. But if you feel called to work with kids, we would love for you to be a part of that. And we'll help you get trained and we'll help you onboard you with that. But if we don't know, then we don't know. If you want to be a part of the worship team, one of the things we make, we're making adjustments in our structure. So one of the things that we've done is uh, our worship team usually practice on Friday night for Sunday morning. And you couldn't, you couldn't be a part of worship team because if you couldn't be there for Friday nights, well, our schedules don't all allow for that. So Jacques and I talked and we said, listen, we need to make an adjustment. So practices are now on Sunday morning before church, 730, right? Which opens it up for those who, if you feel called to be a part of the worship team, if you play an instrument or you sing or you have a desire to, that opens it up for you to be able to be a part of that. Let, let Jacques know. Write it on that form. There's all kinds of other things. The last thing is this. This morning you might be sitting and hearing the things I've talked about the statistics, the darkness, and you may be feeling this morning, Pastor Barry, I feel like I'm more like in the darkness than in the light. 
You may be feeling like you're in crisis, or maybe you are in crisis. And I want to just glance over that and go, hey, just kind of suck it up. Because we can't. That's not possible. Our desire is that this would be a safe place for you to be able to be real about what's going on inside of your life. You can't get better and you can't get healthy until we face the things and you don't have to face it alone. And I didn't want to end this time without giving you an opportunity to do this. If that's you and you're in a place of crisis, you're, you're going, Pastor Barry, you read some of those statistics. I'm there and I don't know what to do and I need help. I want to give you an opportunity today. Grab a Connect card. It's confidential. We're not going to share that with anyone. You can do it now. You can do it after service. Come find me. Fill that up. But just write on there, Pastor, I need help. If you want to share what it is that you're battling, you're welcome to do that. If you just want to say, I need help, and leave it at that, please write your name, and we'll follow up with you. Our pastoral team is committed to helping you walk from darkness into light. It's no point of us even trying to do it out there if we're not seeing it accomplished in this place. And so I wanted to give you that opportunity. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. We're real people facing real issues. But we have a real God who will bring about transformation. I want to give you just a minute more, and then the ushers will come. I've seen the pizza boxes arriving, so...